Uh-oh, this thing's on. Hey everybody, this is Ty Eden, and this is the Tybo Show. Hey everybody, welcome back, and thank you for tuning back in to the Tybo Show. Uh, my name is Ty Eden, and I'm the host of this show. Those of you that uh, are new, welcome. Appreciate you uh, checking us out. Um, I've had this show since, oh, what's the date of this show? Started back in uh, February 21st. And since t- February 21st, we've uh, had 13 episodes. And um, yeah, we've enjoyed the ride ever since. So <clears throat> I would say we were going strong March, April, May, then June, all of a sudden the summer hit, kids are out of school and you're like distracted uh, from doing your, some of your ritual stuff and core stuff and you're all of a sudden um, dealing with creating activities for, uh, for kids. Not that my kids are young, but I do have one with special needs as you've probably maybe figured out through some of the uh, guests that I've had on the show with some of the special needs community and so forth. But <clears throat> now that we're uh, getting very close to school starting again, hopefully we'll be able to kind of pick the frequency of our shows up a little bit and uh, make things rather interesting for you. So today we have Beth Stremel who is a director or very heavily involved with an organization here called Casa of DuPage. Very interesting outfit. They are set up and designed to help families, more so children that are um, involved in some sort of a family where things aren't uh, so good. Possibly some neglect, some abuse, um, you know, maybe a threat of having to become a ward of the state. Um, so Casa DuPage, a worthwhile organization. You don't hear too much of about, about them unless you happen to be in you know, that community or that world, but they, they really do provide an excellent service. They really connect with some of these unfortunate children that uh, find themselves in situations that they just don't know how to navigate out of. They need some help and guidance. And from what it sounds like with our uh, our interviewee today, uh, a lot of these relationships that are forged, which can last anywhere from a year to five years, and it sounds like some of them become lifetime relationships, um, are really uh, to the benefit of not only the the advocate for uh, for Casa DuPage, but also for the uh, for the child as well. So enough of my yakking, and let's cut right into our interview and. Uh, We'll catch you on on the other side. Okay, so today I've got Beth Stremel with the Casa of DuPage County uh, in this episode. Thank you, Beth, for uh, spending time with us today on this on our on our show here. I appreciate you taking your time. Thank you for having me. Now, uh, Beth and I met some weeks back through a uh, social engagement, and um, I really uh, knew about. Casa DuPage from years ago and felt that it would be a um, rather good story for all of my listeners to listen to. So uh, first off, Beth, tell tell the audience a little bit about you, your background, 
And then how did you come to discover or find uh, Casa of DuPage? Sure. Um, so I worked in sales at AT&T for about 15 years. That was kind of my beginning of my career. And eventually my husband and I made the decision um, that I should stay home with the two children for a while. Then I decided to rejoin the workforce and I wanted to look for something with a bit more meaning, try to make a difference in the world. And I was fortunate enough to be able to work in the nonprofit arena. Um, and I was hoping to use my sales experience to further their missions. I worked at a couple other places in the area. I worked for my church in Wheaton, DuPage Pads, and then an organization called Community Health Charities. Eventually, um, I knew of CASA. I'm not quite sure how I first found out about it, but I considered becoming a volunteer at one point uh, when I was home with the kids, but it just didn't work out. So I knew the executive director, Lisa Drake, and we had socialized together. I'd attended their fundraising events. She called me one day and invited me to lunch. And I remember thinking, oh no, I don't know if I want to be a, you know, have time to be a volunteer right now. I don't know if I want to join their board. But instead, she asked me if I'd like to join the staff as their director of development. Um, and that was back in July of 2014. And I've been there since, so about five years. And I feel very fortunate to have this opportunity to write, work right here in my community for an organization with a very important mission. So was that uh, concern that you had when she invited you out, uh, kind of splitting your time away from the kids and now finding yourself doing something a little more full-time, or what was that hesitation? Well, the hesitation about uh, becoming a board member or getting involved was that I was already on another board of another nonprofit. I was working um, at, at another nonprofit, so it wasn't so much the job as it was I really like the organization. Um, I was happier that she offered me a job opportunity than a volunteer opportunity at that point. Oh, yeah. You get paid for it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's the best kind. <clears throat> mm -hmm. Well, tell us a little bit about Casa of DuPage. It's an interesting organization, and it, it sounds like um, it really helps out uh, folks. Sure. So the mission of Casa of DuPage, it stands for Court Appointed Special Advocate. And our mission is to recruit, train, and support volunteer citizen advocates to effectively speak to the best interest of abused, neglected, dependent, and vulnerable children who, and this is really important, through no fault of their own, are part of DuPage County's court system. Um, CASA believes every child has a, the right to a safe and permanent home, and we work to find powerful friends for powerless children in our community. And I can tell you a bit about the history of CASA. Yeah, yeah. Uh, CASA began when a general jurisdiction judge happened to be out in Seattle, and these cases were coming to his courtroom, and uh, he felt like he was just not getting the full story from anyone about the children. Uh, he might get a little bit of information about the children, and he was making decisions that would impact their entire life. Uh, when the cases are in court, they have a defense attorney and a state's attorney, um, various parties, but not really someone that focuses directly on the children. So he wanted um, a voice for these children in the court. So he started CASA, or Court Appointed Special Advocates, um, back in the early 70s. And then in DuPage County, we were founded in 1993 through a formal agree agreement with the 18th Judicial Circuit Court here in DuPage County. Uh, CASA is a national organization, but it's always county-based. So it's all over the country, but it just depends on uh, each county whether they're, it's set up or not. 
And then back in 2017, we did expand our services a bit with an additional agreement with this, the court here in DuPage County. We now help in probate court in certain specific cases where an individual is seeking guardianship of a minor. That means uh, guardianship means that a non-parent will have legal custody of the child. And um, we were seeing a bit more of these cases because we other family members are caring for children whose parents aren't able to do it at the time, but they don't have the ability to do things like uh, sign them up for school because they're not the legal guardian. Um, so the cases come to court. The judge doesn't feel like he has enough information to determine if it's the right place for the children. So our volunteer advocates are appointed to investigate those situations. Um, and it, if we couldn't do this, these families would have to hire attorneys and they really don't have the means, the particular families we're helping to a t- hire attorneys to help them. So it's been a really um, important problem or issue that we've helped solve for these families. Now, who's typically these uh, volunteer advocates? What, uh, what, what are they typically like or who are they? Um, they are... You know, it's interesting. People always say, do you have to be an attorney to be an advocate? The answer is no. Um, we have people from all kinds of walks of life. We do have some attorneys that are our volunteers. We have people that work in sales that just have an interest in helping children. I think the most important characteristic of our volunteers is the ability to relate to children, to listen to children um, more than any kind of specific credentials. You know, we might have retired people like retired teachers, um, but we there's no special skills that are necessarily needed other than the ability to, you know, care for kids. Right. Right. Okay. Um, and maybe some housewives that, uh, have an interest in seeing these kids, uh, yeah, we do see uh, as well, or sure. We see, um, moms and sometimes dads that the kids maybe are in high school or college and they're looking for a, a, you know, meaningful volunteer opportunity and they're wonderful people to do this because they've kind of seen their kids through a lot already. So they're able to relate to the needs that these children might have. So yeah, they, there are a lot of that, especially here in DuPage County. And we're so lucky in DuPage County because um, there's enough volunteers that come forward that 100% of the children that need a volunteer have one. Um, We are, you know, it's just a wonderful caring community that we live in. So that's been a real blessing for the children we work with. How, what level of interaction do these advocates have with the uh, with the children? They are um, required to visit the children at least once a month. They usually visit them more than that. Um, and again, it's all about building trust with the children so that they can really find out what's going on in their life. Um, then they write a report for the judge before the case comes before court. So that's another responsibility of time that they have to do. And those reports then are sent to the staff in our office who review them and, you know, kind of coach them on what should be in the reports. What we report, though, are facts, not opinions. We are not the one that makes any long-term decision about the children. The judge does that, but we try to provide the judge with helpful information so he can make the best, he or she can make the best decision about the child's future. Um, so that's, that's kind of our role. And also the advocates are asked if it's their schedule okay to come to court when the case is up in court because the judge often has questions that he'd like to ask of the advocate because he knows the advocate is the one who's seen the child knows probably the most about the child that can really help him with his decisions 
So then it's safe to say that there is a certain level of relationship that becomes developed between the advocate and the child, correct? Absolutely. I mean, it, some of the frustrations that are frustrations what, that our advocates have are that, especially if you're talking about an older child, it takes a while to develop that relationship. These children don't trust anybody. They've been let down by just about every adult in their life. So then our advocate comes in and they think, well, this person's not going to be around either, which isn't true, but the advocate has to prove that to the child before they're going to really open up and want to spend time with them. So, and over what period of time does that take? And I'm, I'm sure it's different with the older kids compared to the younger kids. It just depends on every child. It's hard to say how long it takes for that relationship to, to start. Um, I can tell you that the cases, the average case length is about three years. Um, and we've had cases as long as 15 or 16 years. And wow. Yeah. Which is, but what, what's remarkable about it is that, you know, these kids' lives are very, um, they're in a lot of turmoil. If they're in a foster home, if their foster home changes, their school might change. Sometimes their attorneys change. Sometimes the judge changes, but our advocates, barring any unforeseen circumstance in their life, make a commitment to be with these children until the case is resolved. Many times they are the only constant source of support for these kids. And that's where, I mean, once the case is closed, it's entirely up to the child and the advocate if they want to maintain a relationship. And many of them do just because they've been, it's been such an important relationship for the child. We have a gentleman who told us years later, he was invited to the wedding of the child that he helped when he was in the court system, which was just, just a wonderful story. Yeah, that's very cool. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Mm-hmm. That's the, there was definitely a strong relationship developed there. Absolutely. So, um, tell me a little bit, uh, what makes you the most proud of working at, at CASA? You know, the thing I am most impressed with at CASA are the volunteers. I mean, these are people who are willing to walk into such very messy, difficult situations. And as I said a minute ago, stay with the children for the long run. You know, they're not being paid anything to deal with these children. I mean, just some examples. The cases are all different, but some examples are uh, the children might be babies who were born with drugs in their system uh, or children who were taken to protective custody because they were found in a home with illegal substance substances and weapons. Um, you know, one case involved a child who was born and needed a feeding tube and the parents didn't feel that they could take care of them. So right away he, had to go into, he or she had to go into foster care. Those are the sad things, but I really see the difference these advocates make. You know, I I mentioned the reports. Um, One judge consistently says the advocates are his eyes and ears for the children. Sometimes he will literally stop a court proceeding and say, wait, I want to talk to the advocate before I do anything else because he knows he can count on them. And then, you know, the the stories of how the advocates impact the children are just just phenomenal. you know, there was a there was a young man recently. We had a volunteer appreciation luncheon, and this young man who's now out of the system, but had been in the system, the one I mentioned before, for 16 years. He and his advocate were both there, and he spoke of his advocate and said, "She saw good in me when no one else did." He really believed she was the only person that was, you know, cheering him on and hoping that he was going to do better. We have advocates who help uh, young people apply to college, obtain financial aid and support them when they start school. There's lots of financial aid available for children in the foster care system, but there's also lots of paperwork and requirements that are involved in that. So trying to do that by yourself without an adult is very overwhelming for these kids. Um, there's another young man that 
he's a, a football player in high school, a, a talented athlete. And the advocate helped him figure out how to apply for funds to attend a summer football camp because some of the college coaches and scouts were going to be there. And ultimately, he did end up getting a scholarship to college because and the camp started that process. You know, these are all things that we would all do for our children. I have grown children and things that our children can take for granted. But these kids, these kids can't. They have to have somebody doing this work for them. The last example I want to give you is I did observe probate court one day. Remember, that's the place where we do the legal guardianships. And this was a case where there was a 19-year-old woman and her 13-year-old brother. And the 19-year-old was seeking to be the legal guardian for her brother because her parents were from out of the country and they had returned home to their out of the United States and left the two children here um, to fend for themselves. And the problem was the 13-year-old boy needed counseling and the 19-year-old could not be the person to agree that counseling was the right thing. So they came to court to petition so that she could be the legal guardian. And the judge was hesitant to say a 19-year-old was the right person to be the legal guardian until our advocates visited them and wrote a report. And then the judge felt more confident and, the, and she became the, the guardian. And now the things that the young man needs can be taken care of with the help of his sister. So it's just a really so a nineteen story. year, yeah. So this nineteen year old knew enough to kind of follow through. She, she must have had some somebody kind of leading her, say, "Hey, you've probably got to do this and you got to do that type thing." A couple of different ways that would have happened. One was the school would have helped her with that a bit and said, "You know, you we need someone to sign for this." And then she also had some resources through her church, so she had some other adults helping her, you know, guide her. But she didn't have any money to pay for an attorney in court to help the matter be settled. Right. Okay. And are the school systems aware of, familiar with CASA? Yes. As a matter of fact, one of the other things that our advocates do, our advocates attend um, meetings involving the children. Uh, there's something called uh, an administrative case review, which would have DCFS, our advocates, anybody involved in the children's lives. And our advocates attend those also. They also, if the child has an IEP, in school, um, they'll go and attend those because the children, it's maybe too much for, say, the foster parents to do that. So they'll go and try to represent the child's interest and find out what's going on in school. So absolutely, um, the schools are familiar with us. Right. And for those people that don't know what an IEP is, it's an individual educational program. Yep. Correct? Yep, that's right. Okay. I only know because my son has an IEP. Yeah, yeah, you would be familiar. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Not all stories come out fantastic. Are there got to be some some sad stories that come along the way as well, right? Sure, we see some sad things. I mean, there's children that um, you know we're working with if they're teenagers and they run away, and it takes a long time to find them. You know, these children sometimes end up uh, having criminal records. And I don't put that on the kids. The kids don't have good examples. You know, they're they're very, very vulnerable to get mixed up with the wrong people because they're just looking for someone um, probably really just to love them. You know, and sometimes they make the wrong, more wrong decisions. I mean, lots of kids can make wrong decisions, but these kids are a bit more susceptible to that kind of thing. So, yes, sometimes um, the cases don't end the way we hope. And that's hard. That's hard on everybody. It's hard on the advocate. Obviously, it's hard on the child. But um but sometimes they come around too, 
you know, they, they, we've definitely seen change in the kids over time, but you know, yeah, you're right. It doesn't always work out perfectly for sure. Right, right. And now your position with CASA is for development. What does that mean? Sure. Exactly. Um, I'm director of development, which means that I'm responsible along with uh, the board and my executive director for raising the funds we need to do our work. We are a 95% privately funded organization. Um, We are fortunate enough where our offices are located in the DuPage County Courthouse which is a very convenient location because that's where much of our work is done. And the county only charges a dollar a year for our rent. So we're very, very grateful for that. And I always tell everyone, if you're a, a county taxpayer, thank you for that. <laughs> but because um, <laughs> you're helping us with that. But uh, so what we do is we write grants, uh, both private and a couple, two small government grants. We, um, we have a few corporations that support us. We have individual donors that support us. And uh, we have two special events per year. We have just had our golf outing in May, and then we have our gala this year. It's October 26th. So that's what I'm responsible for is the management of those events, the grants, um, recognizing our donors, you know, those kinds of things over time to make sure that we have the money that we need to uh, do our work. Our budget's about $700,000 a year. So um, we kind of joke that we start every year with an empty bucket. That's not exactly true, but, you know, we have to find that money each year. We're also, again, it's just like the volunteers. We're very blessed in this community. We have some long-term supporters that have, you know, supported us for many years. And, um, you know, it's wonderful. We've always been able to find the resources that we need. But you also should know that we're we're a small organization from a staff perspective. There's only seven of us on staff. Myself, the executive director, um, a program manager, and four advocate supervisors. And the advocate supervisors are the ones the volunteers work directly with to get their coaching and training. And, you know, this is difficult work. So we never want our volunteers to feel like they don't have a resource they can go to if they're in a, a situation that they're not quite sure what the next, you know, question should be or what they should do. Um, but at any given time, we have 150 to 160 volunteers out there really doing the lion's share of the work. So that makes it, um, you know, a very uh, cost-effective model for a nonprofit, which is, which is wonderful. We're very proud of that. Oh, yeah, by all means. And I would imagine as being a volunteer that you're going to run into a, a variety of situations that you've probably never seen before. No. And so no. you're, uh, yeah, your four advocate supervisors, I'm sure, have seen it and experienced it and been through it and know what some of the, uh, hopefully what some of the right answers are. For sure. And I guess I didn't mention either earlier, you asked me about the volunteers. We do put them through um, uh, lengthy training. Uh, the, fir- the first step when someone applies to be a volunteer is that they are interviewed by our program manager. And it's more about making sure they really know what they're getting into. We've had people come in and then realize maybe the work is more than they really wanted to do, which is perfectly fine. You know, we, we really need you to be committed to this work because we don't want to be another volunteer that lets, or excuse me, another adult that lets these children down. Once they're interviewed, then they go through a background check. Um, then there's 35 hours worth of training that includes everything from role playing to understanding the court process to understanding the foster care system. But even after all that, every situation is incredibly unique. And that's what we, the, the volunteers are always told in training. We can, we can explain this all to you, but 
really anything can happen when you're talking to the kids. So that's, again, why we have people to support them once they get out in the community and start doing the work. Sure. You're, you're dealing with people, yeah. personalities, yeah. situations. I mean, God only knows what, uh, what comes up next. Exactly. So yeah, Beth, how, how do you seek help from the community? What, how can the community help with what your cause is here and what you guys are doing there at CASA? Sure. That I appreciate you asking me that. Um, one thing that would be helpful is our work sometimes goes a little bit under the radar. Um, every, all the work we do with the children is very confidential and, um, we're, we are pretty well known in the county, but I always feel like if someone listens to this, this podcast, maybe they could share a little bit about what I do. So, or we do. So one more person learns about CASA. So help us spread the word would be wonderful. Um, there's a lot of different ways that you could volunteer at CASA. We do some fundraising projects. So if you're interested in getting involved, as well as we always need the money to support our programs, as I mentioned. So our gala is scheduled for Saturday, October 26th. Um, this year we're doing it at the Hilton Oak Brook Hills. It, we, we, one of the areas that we don't have as much as connection as we wish is through businesses. So if you happen to know a business that might be interested in sponsoring our event or helping us, that would be wonderful. And as an individual, you can certainly make a financial contribution to Casa of DuPage. Information about all those options, um, is available at our website, which is www, obviously, sorry, dupagecasa.org. So dupagecasa.org. If you're interested in finding out more about those options and my contact information is available. Okay. And then I'll put a shortcut in the uh, show notes. So for anyone listening to this show, um, they can just go to the show notes and then they should be able to find that, uh, your contact information and the, and the web address for Casa DuPage. That would be great. Thank you. Okay. Um, any other message that you want to try and get out there? Um, the only thing that I, the last thing that I'd like to close with, the reason why this work is so incredibly important is that I want everyone to remember what Nelson Mandela said. He said, safety and security don't just happen. They are the result of a collective consensus, consensus and public investment. We owe our children, the most vulnerable citizens in our society, a life free of violence and fear. And I just think that everyone has to believe that. And this is just causes one small way that we can make a difference in that area. And that's true on all levels of, of society, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> no matter, no matter if it's uh DuPage Casa or just in the public school system and the churches and so on and so forth. Cause it's, it's a crazy world out there. Sometimes it is. That's for sure. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, listen, Beth, thank you so much for taking the time to be on my show. I really appreciate it. And I'm sure the information that uh, you've been able to share here is going to be valuable to different folks out there. Well, and that was our show with Beth Stremel with Casa of DuPage. So hopefully some listeners out there will find some value out of out of the message that she had to share for us today. Um, yeah, there's a lot of troubled families and children in peril and anything that, uh, anybody can do to try and help out one of those kids would be greatly appreciated. I'll place her, uh, contact information and the web address for Casa DuPage into the show notes for this show. 
So thank you for tuning in for those of you that did. Um, you can find our podcast on almost any venue that uh, you might be listening to this podcast through. We, I know that we are on uh, Google Play. We are on Apple Podcasts. They've, they've changed it, pulled it away from iTunes over to Apple Podcasts, as well as um, a couple of other uh, hosting sites. Or you can go directly to Buzzsprout. Um, I'm going to be providing the shortcut to this show in several out, uh, outreaches that I do as well. Also, there'll be a small soundbite in our Facebook page, which is not the Tybo show. It is called Southwest DuPage Doings. So any of you that happen to listen to this, the soundbite, and then subsequently listen to this full episode, love to get some input from you. Love to hear about some, maybe some, some suggestions that you'd like to listen to or hear about. And we'll do our best to try and reach out to those folks and, um, and gather up some of that content. So with that said, thank you so much for tuning in. And again, my name is Ty Eden, and this is the Tybo Show.